Joining me today is my friend Julia Davis, who is one of the smartest observers of all things Russia. She's the creator of the Russian Media Monitor and is one of the, like I said, one of the folks that really deeply understands both the Russian political and media climate and how important that is right now because we're really at a point, an inflection point, not only in the Ukraine war, but in where Russia goes as a country in the very dangerous waters we have ahead of us. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list. Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. You're the president of the United States. You can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Specifically today, Julia, what I wanted to ask you about is the media climate in Russia. Tell us, tell Americans what they don't understand about Russian state and quasi-state and and other media outlets, and how that shapes the political climate in Russia, and and how the how the Russian people therefore interpret the world through that weird lens. You know, it's uh, quite similar to the way our media tried to normalize Trump. The same thing has been happening for decades vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Russians, where they would uh, only showcase the parts of what was said on their state media or by their government officials um, that seemed normal, that seemed uh, like something you might hear Western officials say or our Western media. And uh, they sort of glazed over everything that was deeply abnormal. And uh, now right. it has really devolved into just a um, out-and-out radicalization of the, the Russian population where uh, their hosts are portraying their invasion of Ukraine as the holy war. The, even the prominent uh, Jewish host Vladimir Solovyov is uh, chanting Allah Akbar and calling it a jihad. And it is really... Um, as abnormal as you could possibly imagine. It's, I think, uh, rivaling North Korea, except uh, for the fact that they're not separated from the rest of the world, so we can actually see and hear what they're saying. So I think the biggest mistake has been to try to normalize what's happening there, because if you scan the mainstream media, they very rarely go into depth as to um, the depravity of Putin's regime and what it had uh, devolved into, they literally are willing to say anything to lure their people into this war and uh, get them to sacrifice their lives for the sake of absolutely nothing but Putin's ego and his cover-up of the failing Russian economy that is largely due to all the stealing that him and his uh, crony oligarchs have been doing for decades now. In, in short, it's sort of like Fox News on steroids. It is it is something that the Russian people, I, just as Fox sort of has this very narrow focus of stories that they cover or don't cover, you know, the, the, it looks to me and from your coverage, a lot of the a lot of the Russian commentators on these channels and networks 
they very much tried for the first maybe six months of this to pretend it's all going fine, Ukraine is successful, nothing could go wrong, but it seems like it's starting to crack a little bit around the edges with some of those commentators. Yes, they are getting very concerned because um, all of them thought that the West would essentially do the same thing as what they did with respect to Crimea. They would complain, they would express their um, concerns, and they would impose some sanctions, but none of them expected um, it to land that heavy on them and uh, that the military support of Ukraine would not only not be slowing down, but um, only getting increased. So they are getting right. panicked and it it's certainly registering in the way they're covering this. And that is um, that they're constantly claiming that that they are already at war with NATO, that they're fighting 50 countries. And that's what explains why they're doing so poorly and why Ukraine mm -hmm. is able to stand. They're basically constantly lying that they are uh, foreign soldiers fighting instead of Ukrainians and operating all these right. uh, weapons. And uh, as far as uh, your comparison with Fox, this is like a mixture of um, Fox, ON, and InfoWars, but, <laughs> but even worse, if you can imagine, probably mm -hmm. 10 times worse at least. This is what would happen if they had the, the airwaves and were subsidized by the government and were serving the government. And this is probably what they would devolve into, but... It's certainly much, much worse than anything that I have witnessed in uh, now over a decade of uh, monitoring Russian state media. Exactly. So, you know, back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, there used to be this thing, you know, that people called criminology, and they would sort of study who was standing in the pictures on Lenin's tomb on May Day, or who was with the who was with the various party members and what groups were standing together, standing apart. Does it allow you now to sort of see which power centers are going up and down by who's on Russian state TV, what their messages are? I mean, are you are, are there people who like this person is very close to the Putin thinking or that person is you know, in, uh, in, in whatever form of opposition? Do you play the criminology out more on television now than you ever did before? Yes, certainly. And it's uh, it's very revealing, actually, because the majority of speakers on their state TV, um, often that includes government officials. Uh, there is a um, Andrei Kartopolov who's heading Russia's defense committee. Doesn't get any any higher than that as far right, as the right. state TV uh, talking heads. And he's constantly on there threatening nuclear war. So you get an impression that this is what the Kremlin wants to convey. And that's a tactic to scare off the West from continuing to support Ukraine. And uh, another thing that you can... Uh, uh, glean from watching them is they will have uh, most of their shows will have an obligatory guest who is allowed to express an opposing opinion and that is done solely for the the purpose of letting the rest of them gang up on him telling him how stupid he is what a traitor he is and basically mm -hmm. send the message to the rest of the country this is what happens if this is what you believe and if you um, ever <clears throat> dare to question that or ask that um, a lot of times it backfires you know sometimes people get surprised how were they allowed to do this and that and how sometimes these shows go sideways 
Their military is not 10 feet tall and neither is their propaganda apparatus. So a lot of times this obligatory person that's allowed to express uh, their contrarian opinion actually does it so well that the rest of them are stumped <laughs> and things just fall apart for them. So it does backfire, but it shows you what they want out there versus what they don't want. And the top uh, prevailing um, theme right now is threatening the West with uh, nuclear war because they have literally run out of any other arguments and uh, they're quite desperate to deter uh, continued support for Ukraine. So this is their current strategy. Yeah, I think that certainly seems like the drumbeat of X will cause nuclear war. Like If you send tanks, it's nuclear war. If you send patriots, it's going to be nuclear war. If you do this or that, it will be nuclear war. I, it almost feels like they've played that drum a little too hard at this point because, and I, that kind of frightens me because they, they've lost credibility on whether or not they're going to actually have a nuclear war with the US um, or with NATO, but they certainly don't hesitate to, to threaten it. It seems like that cadence has picked up a lot, almost to the point, like I said, where it almost feels like they've done it, like the boy who cried wolf a little too frequently. That is exactly the expression I used in uh, one of my recent articles. They definitely overdid it. They oversaturated the, the airwaves with this. And at first it was getting some um, attention from the Western media, but, um, you know, all um, intelligent people can see what's behind it. So they have uh, done themselves a disservice that's no longer having that effect that they were hoping. And they're actually talking about that. They're complaining that the West does not fear them. And what do they need to do to make them fear them? So it does concern them. They, they obviously can't take it back, though. So they're just uh, like Trump, doubling down at this point and hoping for the best. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Help people understand in the U.S., like we have really returned to a sort of a North Korean style or old-fashioned Soviet-style media landscape there. I mean, TV Rain, I guess, was the last quasi sort of kind of independent outlet, right? It's It's pretty much all now top-down in service to the propaganda effort. I mean, the, in terms of, if you're a Russian media outlet today, you are on an agenda, essentially, for the Putin government. Absolutely. There is nothing independent remaining there at all. And even their, their mainstream media, um, I hear them talking about getting a warning because they criticized the mobilization or they said this or that. So even they are getting worried about what they say. And there's certainly no... Um, Opposition coverage whatsoever. Before the war, the Russian media ecosystem was already, you know, pretty pro-state. Uh, 
Um, and now it is all in service to Putin. Although it feels like there are some maneuvering starting to happen with even Putin's allies to take more command. What will you be watching for in the Russian media as someone like Perosian or, or um, tries to sort of edge up in the power structure as Putin faces a higher and higher political cost for a war that's failing around him? I will definitely be watching for um, that kind of an infighting, but sometimes that could be a theater as well. So you have to watch mm. it with a discern discerning eye. Um, and, uh, you know, Prigozhin with that story with a uh, uh, sledgehammer has been picked up by their political figures as something good you know, and uh, where you would think that they would try to downplay that kind of savagery. But there again, they're, they're doubling down. And uh, uh, there are, obviously, there's this reshuffling happening where Putin right. is uh, switching his military heads uh, into different positions. Uh, although it's said that at the end of it, he's the one that, that's trying to um, spearhead this entire invasion because like any egomaniac, of course, he thinks he knows better than any um, military officials. But it would be interesting to see about the, their infighting, especially um, as um, I expect Ukraine will continue to hold its own and uh, uh, start retaking other territories. And that's when they really start scrambling and things can become uh, revealing when they're um, depressed and panicking about the developments on the front. I'm going to guess that that a fairly mild winter leading to a campaign with a, with a lot more Western equipment in the spring um, is not going to lead the Russians to have a great. I mean, they're going to throw more bodies at the problem, but I think that they have been unable to to achieve a victory over by by freezing the Ukrainians out during the winter. And as the weather gets better and the Ukrainians get back in the fight with a with a second tranche or a third tranche of American weapons. I suspect it's going to be harder and harder for their media to paper over the problems that in in this war. That that definitely should be the case, and they're also talking about themselves planning uh, this uh, great springtime offensive, and they're preparing their newly mobilized people. And I'm sure that there will be more that they will try to involve. And uh, also, you can read their desperation where they're talking about inviting North Koreans and Iranians and any other enemies of the United States to come join them. Because, uh, you know, it slips through that they know what they have is yeah. not enough. It's certainly not good enough. And they're, they're really reaching and, and trying to, to get it from any other place they can. Wow. What a, what a, what a strange dynamic flip is, you know, the North Koreans used to depend on the, on the, the Soviets back in the day. And now the Russians are buying their ammunition from the North Koreans and hoping to have North Korean bodies on the line. It's astounding. It really is. It's surreal. This this entire situation is completely surreal. I want to ask something that's a, a kind of fan favorite question. Tucker Carlson is the golden American useful idiot in the Russian media complex. He's basically their go-to guy, isn't he, for anything, any anti-American theme or hook. They can find a Tucker Carlson angle on it. Absolutely. He seems to be 
doing their their job for them delivering the perfect talking points they don't even have to analyze them as they do with some of the the other people that they use uh, with Tucker they just take his clips they translate them they run them on uh, one of their recent shows they actually had three separate clips of uh, Tucker Carlson in one show so he <laughs> he's definitely their golden boy in that sense and then um one of my recent articles I wrote also noted their comments where they were talking about how they would love to destroy the United States and the only American that they would not want to destroy would be none other than Tucker Carlson. And uh, that was pretty startling that uh, even Trump didn't make the cut. But um, Tucker is definitely on, on top of that uh, on top of that pyramid in in terms of somebody in uh, the West who is delivering their talking points. It blows me away because he's a spoiled, affected, rich kid um, who plays this weirdly snarky character on a TV show, but they love it. They just, they can't get enough of this guy because, uh, I mean, he, I think he's probably the most consistent major American useful idiot other than maybe Elon Musk, uh, who, who will sort of blindly echo Putin talking points. Yes, it's uh, really astonishing. And also, um, Tucker had on his show this uh, uh, one guy named Clint Ehrlich who studied, sure, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. who studied in Russia um, at the, their uh, institutions that train future spies, uh, or, you know, they call them diplomats, but you know, everyone knows right. who they're really training there. And he had him on on multiple occasions. So he seems to be drawing people from those circles um, into him. As long as they're talking about how any day now Ukraine is going to lose and uh, Russia is going to win and we should really not mess with Russia, he will bring them on to deliver that constant stream. And uh, even uh, the fact that they're praising him does not deter him, where you would think any legitimate American media figure would not want that kind of exposure, would do something to distance themselves from it. But it doesn't seem to bother mm -hmm. him at all. Well, it's, it, it really doesn't. And, you know, when I see him and, you know, Tulsi Gabbard or Glenn Greenwald or or Scott Ritter or any of these other people being used as reflexive you know, go-tos to represent the American political culture over there. I think it's just a fascinating insight into the into their internal propaganda mechanism. You know what? How? You mentioned Scott Ritter, who now has mm -hmm. a show on uh, Vladimir Solovyov's channel. So he's really- Of course he does. He, of course he, he does. He's really crossed over into, <laughs> into not even hiding his affiliations. Um, and you also mentioned uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Um, I had- um, a good laugh listening to them complaining that they tried to come up to her for an interview and she ran away and uh, did not want to be seen on camera with their logos and being associated with them. So they were kind of um, bitter about that. But the rest of them don't seem to be concerned about it. It's one of the most fascinating elements of a media fifth column in America that it, it, you would not have seen this in World War II with people saying, "Oh, that Hitler's a that Hitler's a fine fellow." It just didn't. It just wouldn't have existed at the same sort of weird amplification level that 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 they get out of that they get out of the, the Fox media ecosystem and the useful idiots there. I, I guess one of the other things I wanted to really talk to you about is yes, a lot of this 
in the past, a lot of Russian propaganda efforts have seen externally focused. How are we going to mess with the 2016 election? How are we going to, you know, uh, level the playing field for ourselves in this or that negotiation on something? How are we going to, in the Soviet era, you know, use America's flaws in our propaganda to win over allies in, in this, in the third world and all those things. It seems to me that the war has consumed almost all of their internal prop, all of their propaganda production capacity it's it seems like their external propaganda is less potent right now and less invested in right now than their internal propaganda i think that speaks a lot about where the war is but is that your take as well yes and actually even the way some of the shows are structured on the vladimir solovyov show they always had a um, the order of things where the first half of the program was uh, devoted to the west most likely the united states the second half was all about ukraine and now in the last uh, few months they have um, flipped it backwards now the first half of the show is uh, about ukraine so that kind of shows how their priorities are shifting but also on the same shows, they're talking about how they can't lose uh, focus of uh, meddling and interfering in the Western politics, um, how they could boost and support the politicians that are convenient for them or uh, pro-Russian or even just anti-Ukrainian or anti-support for Ukraine. That's mm-hmm. good enough for them. Um, and so right. they're, they're definitely talking about that, how they should be interfering more and not lose um, sight of doing that while they're also in Ukraine. Right. And, and it, it just, I mean, Russian propaganda, someone once said that Russia was a first world military, a first world intelligence service, a first world propaganda service in a third world country. I think we've seen now that it's it's uh, still a first-rate internal propaganda service, a third-rate military, and I think I I just feel like their power to persuade has been shaken a lot in the world, for certainly, but even at home to some degree. I mean, the, what's the dichotomy with the, an average Russian citizen watching, you know, Victor Solio's network? Is he thinking? Yeah, you know, the Ukraine war is going great. We're fighting Nazis and and aliens there. We're not, you know, we're fighting NATO there. Or they do they is there like a bullshit filter the Russian people have built up um that where they where they say, you know, this isn't real. Come on. There are definitely um, issues going on there, and that's why the head of our team, Margarita Simonyan, complained that they can't be more like China because their people still have access to other news. They still have access to the internet. And uh, that Mm -hmm. uh, puts a real strain on their propaganda where they, um, if they were China or North Korea, they could just pretend that a certain problem doesn't exist, but they can't do that. They have to address it because they know their people are seeing it and reading it. And so they're constantly advocating for becoming more like China in terms of cutting off the outside access and also more tightly controlling their social media where people that are complaining will immediately be cut down. So they, um, you know, their propaganda, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say is uh, first rate uh, for sure. This uh, invasion has exposed uh, really big holes in it where they're falling flat on their face because 
you know, to address some of the things that are being said by the West, and they have to show them and repeat them. So it is going to to leave an imprint, in, even in the minds of people that maybe weren't going out there and seeking this information out independently. Uh, but they they can't beat it any other way. So this is what they're doing. They will show Biden's comments or some of our military officials, and then they will try to um, laugh at them or claim it's all a lie. But but they're failing, and uh, that's why there's more and more um, talk about uh, repressions, about the need for repressions, about mm-hmm. you can't say just anything. And a lot of them are anxious for Putin to just go ahead and call it war, just so they could be on that war wartime footing with more uh, severe repercussions for anyone who criticizes it, because they're still... Um, using that ludicrous term of a special military operation, which, of course, all right. of them know it's it's nothing less than a war. Well, it is um, a pleasure, as always, to talk to you, Julia. You have an insight into this thing that, that is, is quite remarkable. I, I know you were born in Ukraine, and, and I know this must be a, a, a sort of painful thing to observe as, as Russia goes down this, this very dark uh, pathway. We will have more silliness to observe in Russian media in the future than uh, than this sort of existential threat we're looking at right now. It's going to be, I think, it's going to be a hell of a ride here for the next uh, the next few months before things get uh, get more clear. But in in the meantime, we will rely on you to continue to keep an eye on these bastards because you do it better than anybody else in the in the landscape out there. You you are absolutely invaluable in this in this space, and I want to thank you so much for everything you do and for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Rick. And it's always my pleasure. You're you're brilliant in what you do. And, and I Thank appreciate you. everything you have to say about the Russia-Ukraine conflict as well. It, it's always uh, on point. Folks, this one's kind of a tough one. But the enemies list today is, frankly, about cops. Not every cop. Not even the majority of cops. Not even more than a tiny fraction of cops. But what we saw in Memphis, and I say this, by the way, as a conservative, not as some bleeding heart defund the police liberal, was such an abuse of state power, and it's happened so frequently and so tragically and and so systematically, that it's really time for this country to have a really deep examination of the kind of special tasking units that murdered Tyree Nichols. Because they did. They murdered him. And so it's tough because Americans want safety. They want sanity. They want protection. But when you repose in the power of the police, the power of life and death, it's the ultimate state sanction. You know, as someone pointed out this weekend, cops aren't supposed to kill guilty people either. But this time they killed an innocent guy and they've killed far too many. And they tend far too often to be African-American men. And so again, I'm not coming at this from the left. I'm coming at this from a conservative perspective, if we're going to have these special units that believe they are the law unto themselves, that are trained to use tactics, weapons, and techniques that have consistently and persistently led to abuse, it's time to reconsider. So it's not just the Memphis cops this week. It's the cop mentality that believes that they are the law. It's the thin blue line, back the blue all the time, no matter what mentality that's far too present on the right in this country, far too present in excusing 
the vastly disproportionate number of deaths of African-American men at the hands of the police. And again, again, I'm not saying this is some sort of defund the police, you know, liberal wackadoo. I think this is something where we need to really examine whether the powers of the state are being abused by these special tasking units in police departments across the country. The Scorpion Squad in Memphis should be disbanded utterly. The two white cops who have not yet been charged should be charged in the case immediately. They should be fired from the department immediately. This pattern of abuse has to stop. We are going to end up in a place where this country has people who feel like they can't trust the police at all, and they have good reasons not to right now in many, many cities. These special tactics teams, you do need SWAT teams. You do need special tactics teams, but they need to be constrained. They need to be trained. They need to be deployed only in specific use cases. And we've got to look at this as something that will grow out of hand if we let it. It becomes a culture that it permissive violence against the people they are supposed to be protecting and policing. I'd recommend a book by Radley Balco called The Rise of the Warrior Cop. He examined this problem years ago. It really stuck with me as an example of just how quickly state power can be abused and just how quickly a culture that believes the people that are on the streets protecting the citizens are a law unto themselves. They are not. They're a part of the system of justice. They are not there to execute and carry out sentences on the street. That happened in Memphis. It's happened too many times. And we need to reform this system from the top down. And that starts with retraining and constraining these special tactics units. And, you know, folks, I know a lot of these uh, enemies list entries are kind of tongue-in-cheek and kind of snarky and kind of, you know, Rick having fun. This is one I take very, very seriously because I do believe, and again, this is the conservative argument. This is the limited government argument that you cannot have people who act outside the rule of law who have the power in their hands of life or death. So for all the folks who believe that cops are the law unto themselves, you're on the enemies list. Get your shit together. This has been The Enemies List. And if you've been enraged or engaged or enlivened by this week's episode, let's do something about it. This podcast is part of Resolute Square, a new front in the war to preserve democracy. We were looking for a place to fight back against the MAGA media, and this is it. In addition to this podcast and many others, each week, Resolute Square members will sit down with me and other founders for an intimate meeting of the minds talking about what's really going on behind the curtain of American politics and analyzing the minds and the motivations of the people that are shaping this country's future, good and bad, along with exclusive analysis and insight from our newsletters, which are anything but conventional wisdom. And yes, we'll also have merch to make the MAGA heads in your life furious and more. Become a partner in this fight at ResoluteSquare.com enemies. And folks, if you could like, subscribe, and rate the podcast, I would be enormously grateful. And I cannot tell you how grateful and how heartfelt your support has been for this podcast and for these conversations. And we look forward to many, many more. Thanks again. Thanks again.